Good morning. It's a joy and a privilege to worship our great Lord with you this morning, me and my family. And uh, I'm bringing to you the greetings of your brothers and sisters, the saints in Alexandria, Egypt, uh, who are worshiping the same Lord in the same day, the, the day that the Lord has made for us to rejoice. Uh, as we um, begin our reading this morning, I'll read from the book of Acts, chapter 4. And I'll read starting from verse 1 through verse 31. In the book of Acts, chapter 4. This is God's holy, infallible word. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people, and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they, they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May the Lord bless these words to our souls this morning. Let's ask the Lord's blessing to his word. Our great Lord of heaven, your word is truth in a world that is full of lies. We come to your word and we ask that you would teach us, you would show us Jesus, you would show us your strength and power and wisdom and love and mercy towards us. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, as you have heard, I am from um, Alexandria in the Middle East. And we are so thankful for what the Lord is, is doing uh, currently in the Middle East. Um, bringing good, solid teaching to many countries around. And one of the things that are happening right now is that people are gathering from different countries, sometimes to study and to learn Reformed theology. Uh, my wife is participating in some book studies with other women through the Middle East. And um, one of the women that were part of this group is a woman from Afghanistan. And in the last um, couple of years, you have heard, I suppose, what happened there, right? And uh, that Taliban took over. And this woman, she has, she has a family, she's married with her husband. They are Afghani and they have two children. And when this took place, this family had to leave their house. They had to escape because Taliban was looking for all Christians. And they know them by name. They know their place, they know their address, and they were after them. And so they have to leave. And for weeks and weeks, they have been escaping from one place to another, trying to send messages to different brothers and sisters all over the world to pray for them, that they may be able to get out of the, out of the country before they are being caught by Taliban. And I remember those days we have been praying for them day after day following so concerned that they may be caught. People that we know, we know by name. Saints in Christ. Thankfully, they made it out of the country before they are being caught. 
But others didn't. Others were caught, imprisoned, killed, slaughtered. And not, not only there. This is not a unique story that, that happened in one place all over the world. It's, it's happening in different places. Um, it's happening in China. It's happening in Nigeria. It's happening in the Middle East. It's happening in many places. Places we know, places we don't know. People you may not know and people you may know. And then the question comes. The question comes especially from reformed people. Lord, we believe that you are sovereign. We believe that you are in control. We believe that you are omnipotent. We believe that you can do all things. Why don't you just stop that? Why would you allow your people to be slaughtered? Why don't you allow people to come and worship freely? Because I bet you know, not, not all the saints are enjoying the freedom that we are enjoying here right now. Coming freely to worship, singing, loud voice. I have been to some countries where we went to some house churches because we can't gather in a building. And we would go to a house of a person, not together, everyone alone with soundproof walls, because we can't get our voices high enough that the neighbors may hear. All of us would be caught. Lord, why don't you allow us just to worship freely? To answer such question about God's sovereignty and what's, what's happening to the saints, how can we reconcile them? Many texts in the scripture can help us, and our text this morning can, can address this issue. We are before the first wave of persecution the church has faced in the book of Acts after the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first wave of persecution. In chapter 3 of the book of Acts, Peter and John, they made a very remarkable, remarkable miracle. A lame person, 40 years old, being lame, begging at, at the temple, one of the gates, and then Peter looked at him. And he was begging, asking for money from Peter, and Peter said, I don't have money to give you, but I have something more important than money. And he healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. And this guy who has been lame for 40 years, suddenly he's jumping, he's leaping out of joy. And the people, they know him, and they know that this person never walked before, and suddenly he's jumping. What a miracle. And so they came to ask, how did this happen? What's going on? Who did this? And it was not about showing the greatness of Peter as someone who's able to heal. This was not the point. It was about the name in whom this man was healed. And Peter preached about this man about Jesus Christ. And 2,000 more believed. The church became 5,000. But this was not well received by everyone. You see, the great leaders of the nation, the Sadducees, the high priests, those who have the power, they have the power in this place. 
They have religious powers. They have political powers. They can do things. A few weeks earlier, they killed their master. They killed their teacher. And these same men came to the disciples, questioning them, by what power are you doing this? How dare you? And this same Peter who denied Christ a few weeks earlier, boldly, boldly, not just saying we did this, not just saying we did this in the name of Jesus, we did this in the name of Jesus that you crucified. And not only that, there are Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And God raised him from the dead. Basically, he's telling them, what you are teaching is wrong. And what you have been done was murder. And he preached Christ. What would be the reaction of the great priests, the great high priests, and these leaders? They were not happy. They, would, they put them into custody. Think of this. You preach, you go to the university and you preach. You tell someone about Christ and fun, fun, suddenly someone will, will catch you and put you into custody for a day or maybe more to question what you're doing. This is happening to them. And it's not just a nice prison. It can lead to death. They just killed Christ himself. And then they have been conspiring with each other. What shall we do with this man? The, the miracle is obvious. We can't deny it. They asked them again, but stop doing this. They threatened them, but the disciples said, you judge, shall we listen to God or to you? They told them, okay, if you talk about this man again, you'll be in greater trouble. They threatened them and let them go. Why did they let them go this time? Well, there was a lot of pressure. The man is just healed. The people are around them. But they told them, you know what we can do. And now the disciples are going back home after being questioned, after being taken into custody, after being threatened by the greater leaders of the country, after being threatened by those who killed Christ himself. Now they are going back home to the church, to their brothers, to their friends. And they will pray. And what the church will do on that day, the prayer the church will pray, the decision the church will make was very decisive in the history of Christianity. I can say that our existence today in this place, worshiping Jesus Christ, the risen from the dead, is because what they have done on that day, because the decision that they have made. The Lord used this for the gospel to come even to the states. Let's go and see what kind of prayer did they pray on that day? What did they ask for? In verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, they prayed together in unity. They prayed together. And this is what they said. First thing, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in, in them. The, the, the title that they have addressed God with, Sovereign Lord, is a very special word. It's not the common word, Lord. It's a, it's a word that means the ruler, the sovereign ruler, the one who is in control of all things. And the question is, why did they remember this title precisely of God to use to address him with in this prayer? Because they know that everything that is happening is under his sovereignty. Even what they are facing, after, even what they are going through right now. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Everything is made by him. Everything is sustained by him. Even these leaders, even these high priests. Lord, we know that you are in control of all things. And then they quoted the scripture, verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They quoted Psalm 2. They know, they know the scripture. They are using the scripture to pray. They are making good use of the scripture as they are praying. And they remember this psalm particularly in this situation. They did not apply it on themselves. They applied it on Christ. Good exegesis. Good interpretation. They applied it on Christ because they said, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They applied the, the psalm on Christ. This, the Gentiles who rage, the, the Gentiles who gather against your Messiah. This is what happened with Christ. Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, the Jews, they all gathered to kill him. But he, they didn't say just to kill him. See what they say in, in verse 28? They gathered to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They did not just think of Psalm 2, they applied Psalm 2 on Christ, and they said, what happened to Christ was your plan, even by these evil men. The case is not that they, these, these wicked men, they, they, they decided they plot to, to kill Christ, and then God used it later to bring salvation out of it. No, no, this is not the case. What they have done, every single act they have done on that day, on that time, was part of the plan. Not inch wide of it. Every single thing. But the question is, why did they remember this on that day, in this prayer? Why did they make this application? Why did they use some tool as they are praying in their situation? Because they understood that what is happening to them at that time, the persecution that they're going through, is exactly what has happened to Christ. As it happened to him, it's happening to us. And as God was sovereign, in the case of Christ, with every single element of the plot, every single thing that is happening to us right now, every single threatening, every single persecution, every thing, single word said by the chief priests 
or decision will, that is going to be made by these priests is part of your plan. Every single harm that is happening to the church is part of God's sovereignty. God is not watching, feeling sorry for his people, and his hands are behind his back, can do nothing. No. This is not the God that we worship. And this is not the God they were praying for. But the question is, how did they learn that? How did they learn to make this connection between what happened to Christ, God's sovereignty in the cross of Christ, and God's sovereignty during their persecution? How did they make this connection? Where did they learn this from? And the answer is, Christ himself taught them that. Let's, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, and see how did they learn this connection? This, this chapter is about calling the disciples, calling followers to follow him. To be a Christian is to follow Christ. And in this chapter, we'll see what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? Verse 1, And he called to him his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then after we know the names of the, of the disciples, we read in verse 16 what Christ is telling them, how, how their calling will be, what, what will be their mission. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as dogs. What, what a mission. I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. If you have a farm or if you have been raised in a farm and you have sheep, would you send your sheep to wolves? This is what Christ is saying here, right? I am sending you as sheep to the wolves. What would wolves do to the sheep? You can, you can picture it in your mind, right? But this is what Christ is saying. He's saying the cost of following me, the cost of discipleship, will be high. He's not promising a life of ease, right? When, when, when you are following Christ, as he said again and again, to follow me is to carry your cross, right? And to follow me. Later on, in the same chapter, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, that is Christ, builds a bowl, how much more will they malign those of his household? What do you expect that they would do to you if you call yourself a Christian? What do you expect? If the world hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they mock me, they will mock you. If they ridiculed what I'm saying, they will do the same to you. If they will kill me, they may kill you. 
It's amazing that Christ was saying these words in a chapter begins with the calling of the disciples. The calling to follow him. It's a chapter about mission and about the cost of discipleship. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciple on that day. What would you feel? I would be afraid. I would be afraid. This is fearful. And Christ knows this. The disciples were afraid. And how do we know this? Because of what Christ said later on. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we are fragile. We and the disciples are. And Christ addressed that fear. He said to them three times, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. And he did not just say fear not without justification, without telling the reason why not to fear. He gave them reasons why not to fear. He reasoned with them. Let's, let's go and see what was his reasons not to fear as we follow him, as we are expecting persecution for having his name called upon us. Verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Every plot that is being made against you in secret, in closed rooms, will be one day exposed. Everything will be clear one day. And you will be vindicated. Those who kill you, those who plot against you, those who persecute you, in the name of righteousness, in the name of love, in the name of justice, one day, their evil, wicked motives will come to the light and they will be judged and you will be vindicated. One day, everything will be put into its place. Fear not. I'm sovereign. I'm watching. I know everything. But this was not the only reason. In verse 28, he's giving them another reason. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Basically, this, this reason not to fear is a comparison, right? He's comparing between two things. Between two kinds of fears. Between two kinds of punishment, if I may say. The first one is that fear... Do not fear those who can kill the body. Do not fear the high priests. Do not fear those who have power, political powers or religious powers. Do not fear. They are men. They are men. Fear him. Fear God. If you compare God with any man, no matter who he is or who she is, you do not need to fear him or her. This is whom you need to fear. But it's not just about the person to whom they fear. Think of the punishment. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Christ is not denying that they can kill the body, by the way. They can reach your body. They can harm your body. 
They can beat you, they can insult you, they can put you in prison, and they can kill you. And it happened many times. All the disciples, maybe except one, were murdered. And the last one was taken into an exile in a, in a lion. All of them. So they can kill the body. But this is not what you fear. What you fear is what, or to fear the one who can kill the body and soul in heaven. And this, this side of the comparison, this is temporary. It takes some time. We can do this for you with weeks, days, months, years. And then it will be done. It will be over. But the other side, fear him who can kill the body and soul in hell forever. It will never end. And if you look at the two comparisons, there's something common. Every, every element of the comparison on this side, it's finite. The men are finite, the punishment is finite, and the time is limited. But on the other side, every element of the, of the comparison is infinite. It is God who never sleeps or slumbers, who was and is and will ever be. And the punishment is forever. It, it never ends. And Christ is telling them, whom you shall fear. Who deserve your reverence, your awe, your worship, your obedience? Going back to Psalm 2, if you remember Psalm 2, the end of Psalm 2, this is what the psalmist say. Kiss the Son, worship the Son, submit to the Son, kiss the Son out of love, lest he be angry. This is the one who deserves your fear. Many people are crippled by the fear of man rather than the fear of God. The third reason not to fear comes in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not the third time. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The first two reasons not to fear had to do with the future, right? They had to do with the future. The vindication on the last day, everything will be exposed. The final judgment on the last day, Christ is referring to. But this time, he's giving them a reason about their very life, about their everyday life. He's telling them, think of the sparrows. I didn't say this this morning, but I remember this now. One time, last summer, we were in a garage with the young people from the church where I go to, and we, we had a meal, and being in the garage, there was some sparrows coming in, and they had a nest inside the garage, coming in, back and out. And we were like maybe 60, 70 people. No one even noticed them. No one cares about them. We are busy with other things, we are eating, we are enjoying our time. And the sparrows, they are going back and forth, bringing food to their small birds. and They are so small, no one even noticed them. Christ is saying two sparrows at that time, 
sold for a penny. A penny, this is the, the smallest coin. In other words, you cannot buy one. It's so cheap, so cheap. The smallest coin can get you two of them. No one will ever notice them or care about them. And he's saying, none of them fall apart from your father. And you are not a sparrow. You are created in the image of God. Not just that, you are a son. Notice this. Apart from your father. Your hairs are numbered. None of them fall apart from your father. Every single thing that is happening in your life, today, tomorrow, yesterday, every single thing, it's in his hands. There is nothing smaller or bigger than being part of his plan or sovereignty. And he's not just a sovereign Lord for Christians, he's their father. And our Lord is a good father, a wise father, a loving father. An omnipotent father. Fear not. Everything that is happening to you, even from these high priests, is in your father's hands. But disciples, they remember these words. This is what they had in mind as they were facing persecution. And these are the promises that they hold to as they were praying. But put yourself in their shoes. Knowing this, knowing the promises, knowing the words of Christ, making the connection between Christ and, and yourself. What would you pray for? What would you ask for? Let's, let's go and see what did they pray for in the book of Acts. After declaring that God is sovereign, He's the sovereign Lord, He's the one who is in control of all things. He's the one who was in control even in the cross of Christ. In every single piece of it. What would you pray for? Verse 29 from Acts 4. And now Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Surprisingly, they did not ask for persecution to stop. Although they know that if God wants to stop it, he can. But this is not what they asked for. They did not ask for persecution to stop because they knew it would not stop. In fact, it has been promised that it will take place. If, if, if they did this to me, they will do this to you. They will do the same to you. But they ask for boldness. Lord, we want to continue to witness. Lord, we want boldness, not fear. And only you can grant us this. They asked for, for God to fulfill his promises. They held to the promises. This is what we call faith. Lord, grant your servant to continue to witness with boldness. Because we know that there will be more pressure coming. And we don't want to stop. And the Lord answered their prayers. Do you need a proof? 
us being here is an, is an answer to this prayer. Because, because the witness boldly, the gospel went to the whole world. In fact, the book of Acts itself witness to this reality. The beginning of the book of Acts, it begins in, in, as Christ is talking to the disciples and telling them, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Few weak men from Israel, no political power, no religious power. And at the end of the book, at the end of the book, the greatest persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, became Paul, preaching the gospel in the capital of the Gentile world, in Rome. How did this happen? Through lots of preaching, through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through many, many persecutions and oppositions. This was the first wave. The few, first, the few chapters, the few first chapters of the book of Acts, they show us three waves of persecution. The first wave was in chapter 4, to, put, to be put into custody and threatened not to preach. Chapter 5, to be prison, imprisoning them and beating them. In chapter 7, they will kill one of them. Stephen will be stoned. But every time you see the wave is growing, the boldness is also growing. And they are preaching the gospel. God is answering the prayer. But before I close, I have, I'll have a quick look with you in the book of Acts chapter 5. In chapter 5, They preached, and the high priest became angry because of what they have been doing. They, they insisted to continue preaching. In verse 18, verse 17 first, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the, the, of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. They are angry. These men with all their powers, they are angry. They are filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Again. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Amazing, huh? It's not go out and just escape. Go out and stop doing this. Go out and preach again. And they obeyed. They preached again. And they arrested them again. But then they said, Arresting them is not enough. At that time, a guy came called Gamaliel, and he told them, guys, we should not harm these people anymore. If it's from the Lord, then we should not resist it. If it's not, it will disappear by itself. Let them go. They listened to them, but not completely. They decided to, to do something more. They decided to show some anger, not just verbal threat, not just putting them in prison, Listen what they did, what they did to, the, to them. In verse, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. 
and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. One simple sentence that I just read now, right? One verse in the scripture. But think of it. How much time do you think this verse takes in real time? They beat them. Three words. We don't know how long did they beat them. We don't know how did they beat them, but they beat them. Humiliating. Intimidating. Threatening them again. Don't speak of Jesus. But then see verse 41, their, their reaction. Then they left the presence of the council, and the coming word doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Where did this come from? This is faith. This is a prayer answered. They have heard the words of Christ in Matthew 10 before they were persecuted. And you may be hearing this today and you have never been persecuted. But Christ prepared them for persecution, right? And these men, when they were persecuted, they asked for boldness. And when they were beaten for the name of Christ, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. I'll close with these words from the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Christ talked about this same thing that we are watching in Acts 4 and 5. Listen to these words from Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! Rejoice! Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May the Lord grant us boldness to witness to his great name, even as we are persecuted. Let's pray. Our great Lord of heaven, the sovereign Lord, the one who is worthy of our worship, of our adoration, the one who did not, he, who did not spare his only begotten son, but gave him to die for sinners such as us. Lord, we pray that you would lift our eyes to see the great love that you have loved us with, to see your greatness, your glory, and to count all things as rubbish for the sake of the knowledge of Christ and for the sake of witnessing to his great name. We pray all these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.